Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Childcare costs can eat up to 20% of some families' incomes, and yet the true cost of caring for our children is much higher. Caregivers, for their part, rarely are paid a living wage, and many providers remain on the edge of viability. This has become a large drag on the American workforce as people leave their careers because it's just too expensive to pay for people to take care of young kids. And in this country's patriarchal system, women's work lives are often the ones that suffer. It won't surprise you to learn that the pandemic widened the cracks in our patched-together system, nor that other countries do this all better. We'll talk about our broken caregiving system and how we might fix it. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There's some brutal math to child care here in America. What does it take to live in our region? There are different ways to calculate a living wage, but let's call it roughly $30 an hour in the Bay Area. To hire someone at that wage, it costs you more than $60,000 a year, and still that caregiver would not be making out. Of course, most people put their kids into care situations that are not one-to-one, yet they still pay more than $1,000 a month, and caregivers still make a fraction of a living wage. One report found that a single parent with two children would need to make $74 an hour to pay for basic expenses. And for many families, the single biggest line item in their budget is childcare. All this to say parents and caregivers face intertwined but different dilemmas. Care is both too expensive and it doesn't pay enough. So what do we do? Here to discuss the particulars, we're joined by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter here at KQED. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. We're also joined by Deo Agustin, founder and owner of the Mind Builder Center, a licensed in-home child care center in San Jose. Welcome, Deo. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so for having to... me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Um, Daisy, so we're kind of talking about the way that child care both is expensive and hard to find. Why would you decide to do a series on this like right now? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I think what we've seen is that during the pandemic, childcare emerged as an issue. Um, Childcare workers became seen as these essential workers behind the essential workers, right? They were um, keeping their doors open and risking their own health um, so that other essential workers would be able to keep going to work. Um, But since that time, the childcare system has really struggled to recover. Um, parents are facing ever longer wait lists, and the providers are stretched thin. Um, 
a lot of that, I think, has to do with this low salaries that are making it hard for childcare workers to stay in the profession. Um, this legislative year, lawmakers in Sacramento are really paying attention to this issue. They're recognizing that if we don't do something to stabilize the childcare industry, the economy will be hurt, affected because without childcare, um, parents, especially mothers, aren't able to go back to work. Didn't a lot of child care centers close down during the pandemic? They did, and some of them closed permanently. Others were able to reopen because they received a lot of federal pandemic aid. Mm. But that aid is starting to dry up um, a lot of pandemic-era policies that were also made the work a little bit easier for them. That's also about to end. Mm. So I think we're facing a cliff right now, you know, mm. this coming year. Gosh, so many things like this. We would love to hear from you. Have you struggled to find quality child care at a price that you can afford? What's your experience been like? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. Like, how are you dealing with this child care dilemma? The number is 866-733-6786. You can email uh, your story to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on any of the social platforms where KQED Forum. Um, Dale, I wanted to ask you about your work as a child care provider. How, how did you get going in this business? Well, actually, for me, it's, um, it's an accident. Um, mm-hmm. During the recession back in uh, 2008, I was mm-hmm. laid off from the um, you know tech industry. And um, at the same time, I have a two-year-old at the time. And so I was thinking, what can I do? What business can I put up? That would help me as a mom because the rate at that time for childcare was already high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my mom and I formulated this business and we said, yeah, let's uh, put up a childcare home. Mm. And because she has, she had a childcare home at um, Victorville. And so I said, okay, help me out for a, for a year. And so she did. And here we are after 15 years. So what are the biggest challenges for you in sort of keeping the doors open? Um, the biggest challenge right now really is um, the rate, the regional market rate right now. Um, Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So um, the child care provider union, CCPU, has um, won the negotiate the negotiate regarding the the rate back in um, 2022. So we have the increase, uh, but it's based on 2018 data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you know, the rate, um, we were already struggling. We, we have a child care crisis um, in our country before the pandemic. Imagine after the pandemic, um, our rate is still based on 2018. Everything went up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, except for the rate. And so, um, California, or I mean, for the whole country, we have a goal of to provide an accessible, um, high quality childcare. Mm-hmm. And for us to sustain that, we have to be able to provide, um, individualized care right for the for the children especially for the infants yeah six week olds and two months old right 
yeah, we're taking care of zero to five. And high quality means you have to have people, you have to have staff um, providing care with you. Um, just an example here in San Jose, um, our, our um, uh, minimum rate right now is $17. Mm-hmm. And we have to hire highly trained teachers. And right now, <clears throat> the rate is $20 and, and up. $20 is not even, you know, fair for, for my staff if I pay them that, right? Um, but mm-hmm. that's, to be able to be high quality, yeah. we have to give the care and the people, the staff, the ratio has to be low. Right, right. And so right now, um, if you calculate it, it's $5 an hour. The regional market rate that we're getting is $5 an hour. Uh, how are we going to support the staff? We we not only need one staff, um, at least two, if you, if you have 14 children, because you have to go back and forth, um, you know, picking up um, school-age kids. Yeah. Um, and also, and, we have, and by that uh, you mean you get paid five dollars per hour per kid from the state. Yes. Dale, this honestly, this topic breaks my heart. It's such a tough uh, topic. I want to get um, to one of our callers. We've got Allison in Richmond, who's on sort of the the other side of this broken market, trying to find childcare. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Um, I called right away when I heard about this topic, and um, I, I, I'm going to try to even tell it without um, crying so much. Um, I was a pandemic layoff. I had a job full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after I had my baby, I was laid off. So I found myself unemployed at first. And so I've been self-employed actually since then. And so I've been kind of in this like toggle to get back to full-time employment mm-hmm. and basically my first son uh i went through four daycares in a year uh. and he was already a year old at that point and um i was i went through them in this shocking way so um the first one um they just the lack, there was such a lack of care and so we we were like oh we can do better and the, mm-hmm. and so not much story there but what happened next got really interesting. Um, one day I texted my sec. this is my second daycare, and I texted mm-hmm. them and I was like, hey, I noticed you're having, you know, you're really doing a good job of feeding my son and I'm struggling. I can't get my toddler to eat food. Mm-hmm. And I asked them for tips on how to um, feed him. Yeah. And she responded and she said, you don't seem happy here. Don't come back. Oh, my gosh. And. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh. Okay, if you bear with me, I'm going to tell you just really quickly what happened after that. Because then I went to another daycare that we found um, through Craigslist. And um, it was a mother whose son helped her a lot. And the son took my um, my little son to the park regularly. Yeah. And one day he said, he texted me and he's like, oh, by the way, I moved to St. Louis. And I, at that point, was very like you know, um, Mm. traumatized by the previous experience. And I said, Oh, uh, who's going to take Quinn to, um, my son to, uh, the park. And he said, uh, basically he said, you don't seem happy here. Don't come back. 
Mm. I mean, in so many words, like he seemed really tipped off that I noticed that no one was taking my son to the park because he suddenly moved. Anyway, um, and then, um, (laughs) yeah, and lastly, I wanted to say that it's also been a really difficult six years, and we've had a lot of um, struggles around daycare with the six year. I think everyone knows that by now it's been a pretty communal and shared experience. And um, my daycare provider, when I inquired a lot about um, improving our sick policies, actually told me to leave again. <laughs> and uh... It's so hard. I know, Allison, you know, been through this with my own children and all the kids around me. And it is just, I think it's just so hard because on one side, we're hearing you know, Dale has a hard time keeping people. They're not being paid enough. And on the other side, it's so hard to find care, particularly if you have to go back in and find it, you know, again and again and again. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to you. It's so, so hard. And, you know, leaving the kid at a new place each time is so difficult. This is why we're doing the show. We're talking about why child care is so expensive, how we could bring down the costs, how we could make it more accessible for people at all income levels. We're joined by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter with KQED. Deo Agustin, founder and owner of Mind Builder Center, a licensed in-home child care center in San Jose. We're going to get to some of the political and policy solutions. But man, you can hear this is a really, really tough topic on all the sides. Have you struggled to find quality child care at an affordable price like like Allison? What's your experience, Ben? We'd love to hear from you. And if you're a child care provider, how are you managing to stay afloat financially uh, and to find uh, families? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can try us on all the social things. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. We'll get to some, some solutions, I promise, right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about why child care is so expensive and how to bring down the cost while also supporting people working in the industry. Joined by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter with KQED. Um, Dale Augustine is the founder and owner of Mind Builder Center. Dale, um, I know you have to get back to, uh, to working with the kids, but I was just hoping maybe you could respond to Allison and Richmond 
who has been having trouble finding really like dependable care, like what are some tips that you might have for someone who's in her situation to find the kind of childcare center where maybe she could find a more sustainable solution? Yeah, first of all, Allison, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Um, it's really tough. I am a mother too, and I have um, gone yeah. through that too. Um, I mean, I cannot believe that these um, programs have, um, you know, um, turned their backs on you and your child. Um, but um, there are other quality childcare there that you can find. And don't lose hope because, um, like me, pursuing and always attaining um, high quality care, um, they're there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you um, need help, I'm pretty sure in your area um, you have um, 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 help from from um, the government, um, like um, referral. Um, you can always call them resource and referral. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you can call some of the networks that um, are already um, established there, and I'm pretty sure that they they have yeah. vetted a family childcare home around um, your place. But um, your experience is very unacceptable. We are here to serve the children and not ourselves. I mean, first of all, we have to have the love for the children and to serve the families of our community. And um, I that does not reflect that at all. So you deserve more than that. And um, I would pray that you'll find the best place for your children and um, your family. You will find them. Um, just, yeah. just be patient. Thank you so much, Deo Agustin, founder and owner of Mind Builder Center in San Jose. Really appreciate your uh, joining us this morning. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Want to add a couple other voices into our conversation? We have Anna Powell, who's a senior research and policy associate for the Center for the Study of Childcare Employment, which is part of the Institute for Research on Labor and Employment at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Good morning. We are also joined by Senator Monique Limon, uh, California State Senator. She represents the 19th Senate District, which includes Santa Barbara County and over half of Ventura County. has been uh, deeply engaged on these issues. Thanks so much for joining us, Senator Limon. Thank you. It's great to be on. Um, let's start with you, Senator. From your position, what should the state be doing here? Because what we're describing is a horribly broken market where it's both too expensive and people don't get paid enough. Absolutely. And I will say that this is not just a policy issue as a mother of a toddler. uh, Certainly, I've experienced some of what's been shared. And I think that the state has multiple roles to play. One, um, we we really need to look at the subsidized care and what subsidies we're able to uh, provide for individuals who most need it. And I think secondly, um, we really do also have a role to play when it comes to understanding what the unmet needs are, whether they're subsidized or unsubsidized. So as it, you know, as it uh, relates to family fees, as it relates to different kind of uh, types of care, multimodal care, all of these things are um, issues that really the state 
has and should be playing a greater role. One of the challenges we've seen at the state level is certainly the funding issues. Mm -hmm. um, the funding issues have been probably one of the biggest barriers and obstacles to us being able to realize a system of care in 58 different counties. I think one of the challenges we see is that the level of care, how much care is available, um, varies from county to county. Um, rural areas certainly experience some of the hardest uh, challenges uh, in terms of being able to uh, have these care centers. And we know that that has impacts on the children. Uh, so, so that is, I think, one of the, the biggest issues we see from a policy perspective. But I will tell you, again, as a mother of a toddler, I absolutely understand the everyday challenges and frustrations. I myself was on a wait list for 11 months mm. before getting in. And piecing together care is so difficult. Um, it is unbelievably difficult, and it certainly impacts uh you know the everyday worker and that's millions of parents in our country um who are impacted by this absolutely absolutely um let's uh bring in caller uh rob in san francisco welcome rob thank you um first of all our, our son is 18 now so i'm a few years out of the child care uh, search, but I do remember how stressful it was, not only the financial side of it, but just finding somebody that you feel you can trust to really mm -hmm. take care of your kid and, and that your kid will be happy and not stressed out and not come home traumatized. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's tough. But my question is, is this model unsustainable without subsidies? Because like you said, the child care providers feel like they need to charge uh, more to be able to pay their workers enough to make it uh, so you can find quality people that will do the job for a, a decent wage. But at the same time, it's overly expensive for parents. So how does this model even work in a yeah. sustainable way without public subsidies? Or is that just the way it has to be and that an unsubsidized child care system can't function? Yeah, it's a it is a really interesting question. Thank you so much for that, Rob. Um, Anna Powell. I mean, this is kind of your bread and butter here. Um, talk to us about the kind of realities of what, what really is this kind of gap between what a lot of parents can pay and what workers need to live. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on this morning. I would say that question couldn't have teed up the conversation um, any better. Effectively, that gets right to the core of the issue. The early care and education system, California and the United States more broadly, really needs public investment in order to get out of this trap that we're in right now, where parents already pay more than they can afford and early educators uh, can't make a living on the salaries that they have. Um, and our fellow countries in the developed world, they have moved away from this structure of largely relying on private pay to fund childcare. Mm. They are turning to early education and seeing it as a public good and they're putting investment in it the way they do for older children. Um, Anna, you know, one of our listeners tweets, part of Biden's original Build Back Better uh, included child care funding. It was called, quote, soft infrastructure, like it's unimportant versus hard projects. Of course, this was going too far for conservatives. Pat Buchanan ended Nixon's national child care proposal. Only when the business class pushes politicians for child care infrastructure will something happen. Is the answer here really because of, you know, uh, Senator Limon was saying earlier that they're having funding issues at the state level. Does that mean that basically we need federal level funding mechanisms for this? That's a great question. So in many cases, the 
ultimate solution may need to come from the federal government for us to achieve perhaps the level of universal coverage that we would need. That's because, um, for example, in the Build Back Better proposal, which aimed to cap family expenses at 7% of the household income, that would have created this pot of money, which would have been distributed out to states. Right now, a lot of the subsidy dollars that California distributes actually do come from the federal government originally. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we put our own money in there as well. Um, but it is a substantial amount of money that would be required to spread those subsidies to effectively become a universal system. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in another caller struggling with stuff. Um, Teresa in Concord. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Okay, awesome. So um, I was a working, full-time working mom. Um, my kids are now nine and six. And then the pandemic happened, and my son, my oldest, was midway through kindergarten. So mm -hmm. I just decided to quit and stay home. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we had been through many daycares ever since the kids were, like, three months old. Yeah. And it was just, like, a big shift in our world to be, like, at home, home mom. Mm -hmm. Totally weird for me. Um, but I found you know, through the benefits, unemployment benefits, it was really good. Mm -hmm. um, but then now, 2023, I've decided that I'm blessed at the moment where I can step back and not have to go right back to work. Mm -hmm. And another part of that was my paycheck. What I made, I made around 60000 mm -hmm. All of it was going to childcare, right. minus maybe $800 a month. So right. You were like paying not to spend time with your kids. Sense. Yeah, right. Right. It just didn't make sense to go back to work at that point. To, mm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm encouraging other working moms, if they can take a step back and take a break, if it's at all possible for them to try it. You know, it's definitely a huge adjustment on your budget and, and everything. But I, I definitely recommend it. And are you thinking about... <laughs> Like, are you thinking that eventually you'll get the kids to school and then you'll re-enter the workforce? Is that how you're thinking right now? Yes. Yes. And that's horrifying because you hear all the stories about women trying to go back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't ever have a real career career, so I feel more flexible. Like, I can do different things. But it, it's definitely hard. You know, you worry about your 401k, retirement. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. So it's basically me just being in the moment right now. Hey, Teresa, thank you so much for calling us and, and sharing your story. Um, here is uh, uh, someone on the other end of the shoot. Sue writes in to say, maybe our society needs to change its priorities about parental roles and child rearing. It's the most important work we can do. And so a parent can stay home while children are young. I was a software engineer in Silicon Valley many years ago when my oldest daughter was born. I went to halftime and quit altogether when she was 18 months old. I was a hardworking stay-at-home mom for almost 20 years. When my youngest child entered middle school, I went back to work part-time and have had another 25 good years in the workforce. I had no ambitions for higher management or glory in the workplace. I've never regretted my decision. There's a lot to be said for the quote, mommy track, including also making that a daddy track, I think. <laughs> I... You know, Senator uh, Limon, I wanted to uh, come back to you on some of the other 
things that we that we heard earlier in the show. Um, child care provider Deo Augustine was asking about the regional market rate, the sort of subsidy that the, the state is providing, um, and was saying that she felt like it needed to go up to keep up at least with the sort of pace of inflation because it's based on 2018 uh, cost data. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about adjusting that rate and whether that's a possibility? Absolutely. I feel like one of the things that our state has been working on is uh, what we call rate reform, right? And and being able to uh, increase the amount of uh, subsidies that we are able to provide, um, knowing that that will have an impact on how others are paid. And so certainly, I think from region to region, um, it is it is different um, in, in our state of California. However, the need is there. And we believe that rate reform um, is one of the things that will help us get there. And so this has to do uh, more with uh, the workers, the individuals that we are able to pay because that then drives up. I think being able to, to move um, the salaries of the individuals who get paid um, higher and being able to help with some of these uh, subsidies at the state level then means that the whole system has a greater investment. Um, so that is one of the things that we are um, certainly aware of. It is, you know, I have a bill on this at this moment um, that we're trying to drive uh, some of this um, up. And, and it does mean, you know, again, greater investment. And I think to some of the comments that have been made, like when is the time that, you know, we're going to revamp and reimagine our system, both at the state and federal level, uh, to ensure that we can provide care? You know, this is not any different to how we think um, about the K through 12 system, right? There's really great investments. And so um, made at the K through 12 system by states and the federal government. Um, and But we don't have, that doesn't necessarily translate to zero to five. And I will say, that you are, I think the pandemic um, did raise the question of childcare for a lot of businesses in our state and in our country, where they were realizing that the workforce um, was not able to uh, right go to go to work. Um, you don't have employees if you don't have care. Mm-hmm. And so many economists told us there's two things that need to happen for an economy to to start working again: is you need to open schools and you need to have childcare. Um, and so that that speaks to a greater understanding of what would an overall investment look like if we treated zero to five, like we treat K through 12 in terms of our investments, right? Not, they're not identical. We are not going to do this, the same thing. Um, But if we treated them um, together, you know, in a similar way, would we then have a very different childcare system? And I believe the answer is yes. Yeah. Daisy Wynn with KQD. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other reporting that you've been able to do, particularly about the way that sort of providers in places like, say, Stockton or some of the smaller cities are, are struggling to be able to sort of um, provide the kind of care that they want to? Yeah, one of my uh, for one of my stories, I did go to Stockton um, in the northern part of, of the town because it, it was considered like a child care desert. There's just mm. not many of them left um and yet there were there's plenty of demand especially among lower income families working class families who depend on um having reliable childcare so they can get to work and these are people who sometimes get up super early in the morning because they're commuting to the bay area for jobs um so these are the kind of providers who work really long hours um and they depend on these rates 
uh, because they're providing for families for, who qualify for the subsidies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're just not, you know, the value of these uh, rates uh, just don't match up to, to what it costs to care for, for children. And, and it's, you know, these are mostly, um, I went to the home of Annette Nicholson, who um, has been caring for children out of her home for the last um, 15 years or so. And, you know, she's got to pay for her mortgage. Um, she's paying for food, which um, she, you know, because she's providing uh, mm-hmm. fresh meals for these for the children that she cares for. Um, there's just, there's insurance. There's also, you know, she's got to have an extra helper because she has to meet uh, really strict state regulations when it comes to the ratio mm-hmm. of adults per child. Um, and it depends. It, it's even, you know, more strict the, the younger the children are because they require more supervision. Um, these are expenses that I think are not being um, accounted for when the state is reimbursing um, providers like Annette um, for the care that she provides. And then she, you know, she's 62. She doesn't really have much of a savings account for retirement. Um, she hardly has health insurance. You know, so th- th- she's part of a union called uh, Child Care Providers United, and they're they're fighting for these these changes because they're really, you know, barely hanging in there. Yeah. You know, another listener uh, writes in to say, like everything else in the Bay Area, a big part of the cost here is the cost of housing. We need to build until everyone can afford a home and stop thinking that rising home values are good for society. If the child care professional's housing costs go down and the parents who need their services have their housing costs go down, then the two sides of the market gap might be able to meet in the middle. And boy, I will say this is a some of this conversation is so familiar from talking about schools because teachers, of course, um, uh, are maybe paid a little better, but also experience many of these same um, struggles of finding a place to live in the Bay Area. We are talking about why childcare is so expensive and how to bring costs down while also trying to make life better for the people who take care of our children. Have you struggled to find quality child care at an affordable price? What's your experience been like? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786, or you can try the email. It's forum at kqed.org. We're joined this morning by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter with KQED, Anna Powell, senior research and policy associate with the Center for the Study of Child Care Employment, which is part of the Institute for Research on Labor and Employment at the University of California, Berkeley. Also joined by Senator Monique Limon, representing the 19th District, which is parts of Santa Barbara and half of Ventura County. has been deeply involved on these issues. Earlier, we were joined by Deo Agustin, founder and owner of the Mind Builder Center, child care in San Jose. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about childcare. So expensive, and yet also our caregivers are not paid well. We're joined by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter with KQED, who's been working on a series on this issue, and a Powell Senior Research and Policy Associate with the Center for the Study of Child Care Employment at Berkeley, and Senator Monique Limon, representing the 19th uh, District. want to uh, get in some more callers. Uh, Rebecca in Richmond, welcome. Hey. Um, so I uh, wanted to share the experience that I've had with my family trying to work out the sort of patchwork of care. Um, like a previous caller we had, um, I was making about 60000 a year when my son was born, and we did the math and figured we were going to have more as well, and it just we were going to be paying to my entire paycheck was just going to basically go to childcare. So I stayed home for six years and then my husband's uh, work stopped covering as much healthcare as they had been covering. And we were looking at just a huge, huge healthcare bill um, and really kind of stuck. So what we've ended up doing is I'm actually on my way home from work right now. I got up at one thirty this morning and oh every morning I go to work um, for the sunrise shift, uh, supervising uh, package handlers, and it's a it's a good job. I like it. It's been a huge adjustment for our family because I have to go to bed at seven thirty when our kids go to bed, <laughs> and oh. um, I get home. My youngest is still only in part time preschool, so some mornings he's at home, sort of on an iPad. My husband works from home, and there's like a half hour overlap where. You can say hello to each uh, other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and my my three-year-old is sort of just in the background of my husband's Zoom calls until I can sort of tap in. And that's how we've made it work. And it's actually working better than I had anticipated it was going to. Um, Dang, not all heroes wear capes. My God, some of them work the sunrise shift. Wow. I mean, are you... Like, do you think this is sustainable for you, like, over how long, you think? Um, I could see myself honestly doing this for a really long time now that I've gotten used to going to bed really early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as bad as it sounds like it is, but it's I'm not going to say it's great, but it's really nice being done with work by 10 a.m. <laughs> like, and being able to pick my kids up from school. But I would really rather this wasn't what I was having to do. Um, But it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Wow. Well, Rebecca, man, that's, (laughs) that is a solution. It would be nice if you could, you know, see your family. Um, Thanks so much for, uh, for sharing that experience with us. I, you know, well, let's go straight to Cole in, in Mountain View. Hey, Cole, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Welcome. Welcome to the Uh, show. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, adding in earlier when they were talking about the mommy track. And, you know, but adding to that, the, the daddy track. 
uh, I think that's really important, and this is a really great opportunity for dads to start stepping up. Um, but I-, I wanted to sort of add my story uh, similar to the last caller. Um, we, I was the primary breadwinner for a while in my family. Now my wife uh, is. And, but even, even as such, where we're having to still patchwork and juggle our care, um, we have an amazing care provider um, who we get for four days a week. But as it is, most of my paycheck goes to her. Um, and we've noticed trying several daycares and things that it seems to be an economy of scale issue that as a lot of these as fewer and fewer people seem to use group care and go to private care um, or individuals, uh, it seems like they're having a harder and harder time sustaining these larger care facilities. Mm. And it just feels like it's a snowball effect. Uh, and it's, it really feels like we need something to help boost the, the, the resources of those facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Cole, it's, it's such a good point. Thank you so much. And appreciate um having some some dads call into the show as well. Um, Daisy, can you talk to me a little bit about the different kinds of facilities? And if we know anything from research about kind of, or you're reporting about what's working better? Um, yeah, I mean, generally there are two kinds of facilities, right? You could either send your kid to like a home-based setting like the one I just described um, uh, in Stockton, which is generally called family child care. Um, Or you can go to a larger center that can accommodate more children because they have more staff and space. Um, Care for infants and toddlers tend to cost more than for older preschool-age kids because they need more adult supervision. And frankly, it's just a labor-intensive job. The hours are long, and um, workers, these workers are just have been among the lowest paid workers in in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And they the reason why they haven't rebounded to pre pandemic levels, in comparison to other job sectors, is just it's just because their pay is so low. Um, It's a lot of um, childcare providers have talked to me about seeing employees leave, um, quit for jobs, you know, at Costco or Target, where Mm -hmm. they have better wages and benefits. and so there's just this high turnover rate, which probably leads to some of the instability that we, we've been hearing from the callers. Um, it's really causing this ripple effect in our economy. Um, I think uh, some of the solutions uh, we heard from uh, Senator M- M- uh, Limon um, would would help you know, improve some of the rates so that that it'll stabilize the system a little bit, making the job a little bit more appealing so mm-hmm. that we can get more uh, early educators into the field. Um, you know, giving them the the the, uh, the the wages and respect they deserve, you know, and making it a real profession. Mm-hmm. Um, in San Francisco, we're starting to see some of the those um, ideas being implemented through a um, local tax initiative called Baby Prop C. Mm-hmm. It was something that voters um, in the city had uh, passed back in 2018. But but the and it's it's to raise a um, the taxes for warehouses and commercial rent rental properties, mm-hmm. and using that money to fund um, the early childcare field. Yeah. Um, but the, that money was put on hold for a couple of years uh, because of litigation. And just 
starting last summer, it started to become implemented where teachers, uh, the early educators were starting to see, get receive stipends, like bonuses to, um, you know, to, to keep them <laughs> in their jobs. And families, more families started receiving, getting access because in San Francisco, a family can qualify for a, a family of four making about $150,000 a year can qualify for subsidized child care, which is vastly <laughs> higher than, you know, what the rest of the state families in, in the rest of California can qualify for. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the city's goal is to pay early educators a minimum wage of $28 per hour, which is considered a living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's getting there. Yeah, yeah. You know, Anna, I was wondering if that baby prop C had been copied by any other places in the state or whether you were seeing, you know, similar kinds of uh, efforts at the very local level. Absolutely. Well, San Francisco is certainly leading our state, um, and Alameda County and Oakland have both been in the works of creating some local funds um, that voters have approved, but those are in an early state. We largely have to look outside of California for other examples. So I'll give you the state of New Mexico, for example, which has passed a new measure just in the past couple years to set aside a new funding source, which will go exclusively to child care. And in this, they are also doing those two things. One, of raising the rate that the state will pay for that subsidy per child, but also trying to expand the number of families eligible to participate in that system with the goal of reaching more and more saturation over time. So that's what um, New Mexico and San Francisco are both doing well. But it's worth pointing out um, the $28 per hour would be a living wage for a single adult with no children. And as we've talked about, you know, Many educators like Dale have children of their own, um, and they would likely need to earn somewhere in the area of early 40 to $45 per hour in order to be making a living wage and have children of their own. Um, and that's what folks who teach in K-12 are typically earning. So the long-term goal to stabilize and honor our field is to see what we call pay parity, so where the wages in pre-K or early care and education align with those in public schools. Mm-hmm. A few more uh, listener comments I want to get to, and Senator Limon, I'm coming to you right after them. One uh, listener writes, you know, I called my mother and begged her to relocate to California, move in with me and help with child care. I couldn't find anything that was both decent and affordable in the Bay Area. California doesn't spend enough on children, which is why California kids end up underperforming academically and otherwise. If we invest in kids early, we won't need to invest in prisons later. Everything from daycare to early and elementary education should be receiving more from the funding pie. You know, Beth writes in to say, I find it distressing to hear accolades for the mommy track as an alternative to quality child care at an affordable price. When women leave the workforce, they fall behind economically and career wise and are likely to never catch up. This is an age old trap that ultimately feeds the myth that child bearing age women are not worth the investment and that the proper place for women uh, is in the home. Um, Ryan writes in to say, Sometimes my husband and I, parents of a three-and-a-half-year-old and an infant, fantasize about moving to France for these tra- early childhood years. After college, I taught in a primary school in Brittany, and in the same school, there were always little tots toddling around as well because France has a free public preschool system. Children over the age of two who are potty trained can go to a, to a center for free. It's all taxpayer-funded. 
As with most social programs, it's always depressing to realize that the United States is so woefully behind other developed nations to the point that we take for granted that publicly funded programs like this aren't even conceivable within our political landscape. As a result, parents like myself have to simply pay out of pocket a sum equivalent to half our net income. So, Senator Lamont, here's a question. Is there the political will, either in the state of California or broader, to try and change this system? Like, this does seem like it's pretty broken the way we're doing it. We see other places that are seem to be doing it better. Um, how, how possible is movement on this topic? Well, I will say that I think that it needs to be aligned with both the federal and the state. The state has invested in, uh, you know, nearly 200,000 more uh, additional child care spots um, for our state. Additionally, you know, the Legislative Women's Caucus, which is bipartisan, has pushed to make a nearly $1 billion investment. But that alone doesn't take us there. It takes, you know, what it does is it helps for a, a number of, you know, for a year, for two years, for three years, for a shorter period of time. It doesn't solve our long-term problem. And I think that uh, it is going to be critical that when we see zero to five as something that should have the investments of K through 12, and we see some of this pay parity, you will see it increase. This year, I'm carrying a bill um, that's really also moving from the business side. They would like to see child tax credits since this state is a state where there is a such high cost co- housing. Um, very, There's more businesses now who say, if we can't offer housing, can we offer child care as an incentive to retain and attract the best employees? And so this is these are real conversations and these are forcing change. I do not think that the change is happening fast enough. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think of myself and everything that everyone has been talking about piecing together care, you know, running around, what do you do when, you know, your child care center, uh, when you finally get in and your child care center closes, what do you, you know, having the conversations as a family, mm-hmm. um, you know, does it make sense to still have someone who is working full time when you're, you know, you're paying out, um, the, for this care, all of those pieces, um, have to come together and there has to be, I think, a collective, um, effort at the federal level and at the state level, it has to be bipartisan to say we want to change this and we want to change this for good. I do feel that uh, we are making strides, but I do not think that we are going to make them um, fast enough or soon enough. Many of us on this call will have kids. um, By the time we see the change we want, we will probably have kids in the K through 12 system already, right? And we will have aged out of the zero to five. But I think it's so important to have the lessons of the zero to five, all of these things that so many callers have shared to be part of the reality that influences what that change looks like. And also for us, you know, not to stop asking for these changes, whether or not we have kids zero to five, we all need allies, right? It shouldn't just be um, the individuals who have kids in the zero to five age range um, who are asking for this. It has to be a collective recognition that the system needs investments at multiple level, right? From private, from public, um, we need to prioritize this just as the business so often asks for tax credit, so often asks, you know, for elements Mm -hmm. that help their business, this needs to be part of the equation for families and for their employees. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure we get to Noemi in San Jose. You have a tip for some folks who are in Santa Clara County. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call and thank you to everyone who's contributed to this conversation. Um, I was referred to a website called childcaresbc.org. 
It's a tool through Santa Clara County. It's basically a database of licensed um, in-home daycares as well as childcare facilities. And I was cold calling places trying to find childcare for my son. And although I didn't end up finding one through that tool, I've been sharing it with folks that, you know, I randomly meet at Trader Joe's or what have you, right, that, that talk about finding childcare being so difficult. And, you know, aside from um, pay parity and some of the other recommendations, I'm wondering if there's also been discussions about a statewide tool um, mm. where anyone can look for licensed uh, in-home facilities or um, child care centers. I think it's something that is, is needed and maybe is a little more of a low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Thank Anna you. Powell, thank you so much, Noemi. Really appreciate that. Um, no, uh, Anna Powell, have you heard of anything along those lines? Yes. Uh, fortunately, there is um, a website as well as, I believe, a hotline that you can use. Um, I'm just trying to remind myself the website right now. Yeah. I'll get that shortly. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's not Go coming ahead, up to my, yeah. my mind right now, but it's, it's compiled by um, a network of resource and referral centers uh, throughout California. Each county has one, and um, they're contracted by the state to, to refer uh, families to providers who, who happen to have an opening um, and, and match, match the family and their needs to the provider. Got it. So we I got will it try right here. Okay, it great. is mychildcareplan.org. Mychildcareplan.org. I have to say mychildcareplan.org needs a little better SEO. I think we were all googling at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> last uh, last comment. Jennifer writes in to say I had two children who needed after-school care when the pandemic hit, but just months before 2020 we had to disenroll because it was too expensive and we were falling too far behind. I ended up bending over backwards and asking my workplace to be flexible with me and letting me come in later so I could get the kids to school and then work from home later in the day so I could pick them up. It was a lot, and then the pandemic hit where the world seemed to have gone to work from home. It was a silver lining in the horror that is the pandemic. My workplace never went back to the office and we're permanently work from home, and it's been the best for our family. Another story of the way that people are just having to make it work because childcare is expensive. We've been talking about how to bring down those costs while trying to make the working lives of caregivers better, the people taking care of our kids. We've been joined by Daisy Wynn, early childhood education and care reporter with KQED, Anna Powell, senior research and policy associate with the Center for the Study of Child Care Employment. Senator Monique Limon in the California State Senate. She represents the 19th district down there in Southern California. Earlier, we were joined by Deo Agustin, founder and owner of the Mind Builder Center, a licensed in-home child care center in San Jose. Allison Richmond, I'm still thinking about you. If you're still listening, I hope you've heard you're not alone. There's at least that. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour Forum Ahead with Rachel Myra. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.